Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are studying the life of Jesus. And the whole purpose that we are doing this is for us to come to a greater understanding and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to become more intimately acquainted with him. And what, what, what better way to do that than to study the record that we have of the life of Jesus that is recorded in the four Gospels. And that is what we're doing uh, right now. We're in Matthew chapter 12 and we are looking at what uh, scholars call a busy day in the life of Jesus. And so uh, everything that we have um, taught and we are teaching, we're looking at in Matthew chapter 12 and also we will be looking in Matthew chapter 13. All of these events occurred in one single day. And so uh, as we go through uh, this record of uh, Matthew and of also of Mark and Luke, uh, we're going to see that it is a busy day. And I don't think it's just one particular day uh, in the entire life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. I think it's a, an example of one of much of how uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ministered uh, on the Sabbath day. And yet we have one one hour service and we think we have hung the moon. Well, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was busy on uh, the day of the Lord. And so uh, I hope that speaks to our heart today, too. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray and we'll start in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. And hopefully we'll be able to finish uh, chapter 12 today so that we can uh, move forward in this ministry and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we ask you to bless this time, Lord. Uh, we're just asking you, Father, for the Holy Spirit to make this teaching profitable to us. And that, Lord, we're asking you to give us revelation and uh, show us, Father, a, a deeper reality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll give you the praise, honor and glory for it. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 12. Now, let's just go ahead and back up a little bit because uh, we have been in chapter 12 for the last couple sessions and we want to get an idea of uh, this, uh, what, what we call uh, this busy day in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hopefully it will speak to us. Now, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, we find Jesus in the, in, on the Sabbath day. Now he's heading, heading to the synagogue and uh, he's walking through the uh, wheat fields and the disciples, they become hungry and they pull some of the grains off, which was perfectly lawful for them to do that. And of course, the Pharisees objected to it. But then Jesus goes on and he talks to them, gives them some examples. We've already been through these. We won't go through them again. But he does, he does tell them that uh, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And of course, he leaves and on his journey uh, through the cornfields, he, he goes to the synagogue and there's a man there with a shriveled hand and the Lord heals them. Now, the Pharisees, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? So evidently, Jesus had already gotten up and was already walking over towards this man to to heal him. So that kind of gives us a picture how the, in the Sabbath service, Jesus was the focus of attention. And of course, the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal 
on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. So uh, we're going to see uh, as we go through here today uh, just how deeply uh, the the scar and the plague of unbelief was in the life of the Pharisees and those that opposed the Lord Jesus. Well, of course, uh, Jesus uh, commanded this man, stretch forth your hand and, it, and he restored health to that um, diseased limb. And then uh, the Pharisees went out to counsel how they might destroy the Lord Jesus. In other words, the word destroy there means uh, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to put him in the grave. They want to remove every remembrance of him. They wanted to completely and totally turn the uh, the people away from the Lord Jesus. They wanted to bury his teaching. They wanted to bury him uh, so that they will no longer have to deal with him. Well, they're going to find that that's not going to be very easy. Now, they will accomplish their purpose, uh, but uh, but they're not going to remove Jesus uh, from the memory of the people. Amen. Praise God. So that's where we are. So we'll we'll read a section of Mark chapter three right now and the multitude coming together. Again, uh, actually, uh, Mark begins and he says, then Jesus entered a house and the multitude came together so that they could not as much as eat bread. Now, notice this verse 21 of Mark chapter three. And when his friends heard of it now, uh, A.T. Robertson says that the, the Greek phrase here, he par auto, should be translated or better translated from the side of him, connoting members of his own family. So here we have Mary and uh, the brothers of Jesus. They go out now, verse 21, and when his family or his family heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for he said he is beside himself. They're saying that he has gone crazy. Now, isn't that interesting how that people always look at people who are fanatics for Jesus as being crazy? Well, Jesus was not exempt. <laughs> but we know now in, in uh, going over the Gospels, going over the New Testament, that uh, that Jesus in his humanity was imperfect at all times, in perfect control of himself and of the elements around him. So nothing kept, uh, caught Jesus by surprise. The only thing that amazed Jesus was the unbelief that was in the Jewish people. All right. Now, Matthew 12, verse 22. Then was brought to him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Now, here he is. All right. He's gone through the Sabbath. Uh, he's healed. Amen. And uh, now he goes into a house which many people think that the house Jesus went into was the house of Peter, because many believe that this uh, that this area was Capernaum, where Jesus was ministering. Amen. And so here here's a healing. Uh, the devil uh, possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him in so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Now, what the people are saying is that could this be the Messiah? But now listen to this in verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said this fellow. Now, the word fellow is not in the Greek. It was added by the translators for an ease of translation. Uh, some translation says this man. 
This man does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Now, Mark tells us in chapter 3 and verse 22 that it was the teachers of the law that came down from Jerusalem that had accused Jesus of casting out devils by the prince of devils. And of course, this is a term of reproach. It is spoken by the Pharisees, you know, as a way that that the, the thinking of the Pharisees, let me say it this way, the thinking of the Pharisees was that this man is a sorcerer that he is casting out devils by the prince of devils. And verse 25 of Matthew 12 says, And Jesus knew their thoughts. See, Jesus in perfect possession of all of his faculties. Amen. Nothing surprised him. He was in perfect control of himself and perfect control of the elements around him. And so Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? Now notice verse 27. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. So Jesus is saying, Pharisees, those who are under you, your children, those who are, are being raised and being trained by you, they cast out devils. So how do they uh, expel demons? Do they expel demons by Beelzebub? In other words, what Jesus is saying, they cast out devils just like I cast out devils. Does that make them sorcerers too? No, but Jesus says in verse 28, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Luke records, but if I cast out devils by the finger of God. See, Luke records that the Spirit of God is the finger of God. Then the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Amen. So Jesus, he does, and he dispels this notion of the Pharisees that he was using demonic power to cast out devils. And he also states that I cast out, I'm casting out devils by the anointing of the Spirit of God, the same anointing that is in you and me through the power of Jesus. Amen. How do we cast out devils? We cast out devils by the finger of God. That's how we cast them out. We cast them out by the Spirit of God. But now this is a curious statement here in verse 29. Or else... How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? So how does the Lord bind the strong man? Well, he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he did it through his word. Amen. See, Jesus was given authority and power to command evil spirits to come out and they come out. Amen. Now the word command here is the Greek word apatosi and it means to order, to charge, or to command. Jesus had that authority. Guess what? You and I have that authority. As a matter of fact, the first sign that Jesus said uh, that will follow them that believe is that in my name they shall cast out devils. 
Praise God. So don't think it an odd thing and don't think it an unusual thing to see demons cast out. As a matter of fact, the farther we get away from the things of God, from the things, the plans and the purposes of God in this nation, the more we're going to see demons being cast out because the farther away we get from the Lord, the more we make ourselves vulnerable, amen, to be obsessed and possessed by demon spirits. And then Jesus says this in verse 30, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. So Jesus is saying here that, that men are either with Jesus in the harvest of the kingdom of God or they are not. And we could, we could quote this verse this way. He that has faith in me will come to me. And he who does not believe in me will be scattered away from me. So either we're going to be drawn, uh, drawn to Christ or we're going to be scattered away from Christ. And of course, it depends upon the term he that has faith in me. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is drawing you to himself. But if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are being scattered. And of course, the term scattered uh, has the idea behind it that you're going to be lost. And then verse 31 says this, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And the word blasphemy is the Greek word blasphemia. And of course, it's in this case, it is a nominative singular noun, but it means to vilify. And Jesus is saying here that there is no forgiveness for vilifying the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so? It's because, and we'll see this, uh, I'm, I'm going to teach on this a little bit, but we're going to see that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is only made real through the Holy Spirit. You can read the scriptures, but unless the Holy Spirit makes them real to us, we're not going to know what they mean. And of course, we'll see this as we get over into the parables in the next chapter. So to reject the Holy Spirit is to reject Christ. And to reject Christ, amen, means that the Holy Spirit now is not going to make the person of Christ real to us. And that's very important. So if someone rejects the work of the Holy Spirit by vilifying him, and treating his work as an unholy thing, where is that person going to go for salvation? He's going to have to repent. Amen. But people who vilify the work of the Holy Spirit, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees have done and are doing now, they're not going to repent. They have stepped over that threshold. You know, I believe that in every person's life, there's a line drawn. And as long as that person stays behind that line, there's always the opportunity for that person to be saved. But once that person steps over that line, they're lost. And they're never going to get back. They're never going to come to a place of repentance. They're never going to find the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the people that Paul talks about that are fitted to destruction. See, Pharaoh was never going to repent. 
He was never going. Let me say that again. He was never going to repent, even though God worked on him still. God knew that he would not repent. And so he was a vessel fitted for destruction along with the entire Egyptian army. Amen. We have to understand that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is waiting, expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. The only person here that is that is working in the church is the Holy Spirit. The only person that can bring conviction is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 32. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, shall not be. How much more of an imperative can that be? Now, this is Jesus saying this. This is his word. We better take into account every word that Jesus says. It shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit has come and it is the Holy Spirit that rebukes and reproves the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the salvation that's in Christ Jesus real uh, through the convicting power of the Holy Ghost and through uh, convicting and convincing men of their need to repent. You take the work of the Holy Spirit and there's no other way that that person is going to come to Christ. Nobody, the Holy Spirit, when he's moved out of the way, a man is left to himself. And what a pitiful, sorrowful, grievous position for a person to be in. And of course, we see men on, and women on display every day in this nation who have already stepped over that line. Jesus to them is nothing. They would never repent. I tell you, if we truly want to repent, <laughs> well, I better not go here. But anyway, if we truly want to see a nation in repentance and let's start at the White House and let's work all the way down to the most menial task in this nation. And once we can get all these people to repent, then I'm telling you, we will truly be a repentive and blessed nation. But as long as we have leaders, both in the secular world and in the church, who have stepped over that line that really don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, have reproved the work of the Holy Spirit, and are just acting and, 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 and provoking out of their own sinful nature and desire, uh, we're, we're in for hard times. So we need to be praying for our nation, both for our secular leaders and also for our religious leaders. And then Jesus in verse 33 says this. He says, either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Oh, generation of vipers. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But notice verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, Jesus here is not talking about every word that you speak out of your mouth. I know a lot of times we speak words that uh, that are not very wise. We speak words of unbelief. We, we talk about things. 
But Jesus is not talking about every word that comes out of your mouth. What he's talking about. And of course, this idle word is the Greek word argon rhema. It's idle word. But what does this idle word mean? It's the Greek word, like I said, argon. And in this case, it's nominative singular. And it means unprofitable. That's the actual definition. It's unprofitable. But it is also equivalent to pernicious. And the word pernicious means that which causes serious injury or death or causes great harm. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were speaking such words that would cause serious injury and death to the Lord Jesus Injury to the people trying to turn them away from his words and his sayings, and they were causing great harm. They were trying to do damage to the ministry and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the words that Jesus says. These are the idle words that Jesus says that men shall speak. If they speak them, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. So. Let's just follow what David did. Set a watch over our mouth that we might not sin against the Lord. The Lord. Amen. Praise God. And in verse 37, Jesus says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Profitable words will lead us to salvation. Unprofitable words will lead us to condemnation. Amen. So we either have a faith Uh, words of faith and confession in the Lord Jesus Christ, or we have words of doubt and unbelief. Of course, we know the Pharisees could not and would not believe in Christ, so all their words were filled with doubt and unbelief. Amen. So, continuing on, verse 38. Now, these are the same Pharisees now. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And what this this idea, what it gives me, is that these Pharisees are convinced that Jesus is a sorcerer. So they're demanding a sign from him, you know, pulling a rabbit out of a hat, doing some something that uh, and all of this, this provocation, all of this is so that they can condemn Jesus and then put him to death. And then, of course, Jesus answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign shall be given to them, but given to this generation, this evil and adulterous generation, but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. And now when Jesus called this generation an evil and adulterous generation, he was using the Greek word ponera which means to be bad. It means to be evil. It means to be wicked. It means to be a twisted generation, a generation that is not walking in the truth. And the word adulterous is comes from the Greek word machalis. And it, what it means, it means a faithless. It means an unclean and it means an apostate generation. Jesus knew these people. He knew exactly who they were. And he says to them, there's no sign going to be given. I'm not going to put on an act for you. The only sign that I'm giving you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the son of man shall be three night, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And of course, that's speaking of his death, burial and resurrection. 
that he is going to be crucified, that he is going to pay for our penalty. He's going to be laid in the tomb for three days and three nights, and then he's going to be raised to life. And then he says some very interesting things in these next two verses. He says, the men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. See, repentance. Notice that repentance. Jesus is speaking to them and saying repentance is the only thing that is going to lead you towards salvation. And then he says in verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth. In other words, she was drawn. She wanted to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then Jesus says, behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. See, he's speaking this to the Pharisees. He says, you're not coming to me. You can't come to me because you're not repenting. And when you come to me, it's to accuse me. It's not to hear my wisdom that you might know how you can be born again. Amen. Praise God. So the truth of God's kingdom is in the Lord Jesus. Amen. He has become our wisdom and our righteousness. Praise the Lord. Amen. And then beginning in verse uh, 43, notice something else that Jesus says here. And this, once again, is directed towards the unbelieving Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through desert places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, clean, swept and garnished or put in order. Amen. And then it says, then it goes and it takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. And he says this, that is the way it will also be with this evil generation. See, that they've come. Amen. But sin has been found in their heart. And even though they had the opportunity now to have sin cast out, they'd rather hold on to it. See, they had the teaching of the law. They had the teaching in the ministry of John the Baptist. They got Jesus teaching. Able to make them clean, but they don't believe it. And so what's going to happen? Well, they're going to be seven times worse off than what they were at the very beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that seven is the number of completeness. So their destruction is being made complete. And that's a horrible, horrible, horrible position to be in. And then finally, to end out uh, this uh, chapter. And while he was speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whosoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Are you doing the will of God? You that are listening to this broadcast. If you're doing the will of God as best as you can. 
with all the light that has been revealed to you. Jesus says, you're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mother. Praise God. What a tremendous statement from our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying that the relationship that we have with Jesus through faith and through obedience is stronger than the relationship that we have with our own husband, with our own wife, with our own mother and father, with our own children. Think about that. Think about that. Where do we need to spend most of our time? Where do we need to spend our emphasis? It's cultivating our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith and obedience, asking him and praying for him, hungering and desiring for him. Amen. To give to us a deeper revelation of his person. Amen. Praise God. Father, we bless you today in the name of Jesus. Lord, just take this word and, and Lord, and we receive it into our heart with the intention to act upon it, Father. And Holy Spirit, make it real to us. Help us to see Jesus and to know Jesus in a deeper way that we've never known him before. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.